The Stanley Cup final gets underway this weekend between the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights. We have a full preview, plus Erica Ayala joins us for a women's hockey spotlight, and we discuss the favorites to win the Conn Smythe. All that and more on today's Locked On NHL podcast. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome, everybody, to the Friday edition of the Locked On NHL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. want to thank everyone for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they drop on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And we are now also available on Sirius XM on the SXM app. Just search for Locked On NHL. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off your first purchase. Rachel, happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Uh, I, I know we're talking about the Stanley Cup final on today's show, but I am still like, glowing about last night's Memorial Cup game. Uh, tons of fun in this tournament. And they they went to a tiebreaker game between uh, Peterborough and Kamloops. And the tiebreaker game went to overtime. So super exciting tournament. Um, I always love watching junior hockey. And um, Flyers prospect J.R. Avon scored the game-winning goal in overtime to win that game for Peterborough and uh, go to the semifinals, which uh, are today. So good luck to them. And uh, yeah, uh, lots of hockey outside of the NHL, too. Oh, absolutely. And always, always enjoy the juniors. I mean, it's uh, it's great stuff. And it's always, I always find it cool to watch highlights from junior games like three or four years later when now you know oh, yeah. all these guys like... <laughs> I didn't know that guy was on the team and I didn't know that guy played. And yeah. You know, there's a little something extra to it when you figure out who makes it and who doesn't, but uh, Stanley cup final uh, getting underway uh, Vegas and Florida, not two teams that a lot of people had on their uh, predictions when the season started, maybe not even when the playoffs started, but here we are uh, your initial thoughts about this matchup. Yeah, I think with Vegas, more people would have had them on their list as potentially being in this series to to end the season. Um, they are a very good team. I think it was the goaltending problems that maybe would have kept them out of people's thoughts, uh, just because they had so many injuries and and you know struggling to settle on it. But uh, Aiden Hill has settled into that role quite nicely in this playoff series. And I, I think they have full confidence in him. And you look at the core of this Vegas team with Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, uh, Jonathan Marcheseau, uh, just putting together a tremendous playoff run. And, you know, while I wouldn't call this team like the most dynamic or the most exciting, they're just solid hockey guys that can execute and you know put together complete games um and i i just think that you know they fully deserve to be in this stanley cup final 
And then, you know, you have Florida, complete opposite story, right? <laughs> yeah, they they certainly, you know, they squeaked into the playoffs, barely made it, had to face the record-setting Boston Bruins in the first round. I don't think too many people had them coming out of that first round. And yet they find their footing, go on a hot streak, and reach the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, they they had to go through a pretty big gauntlet. I mean, they beat the two teams with the best record in the league in Boston and Carolina, and they beat Toronto. I mean, that is uh, not an easy path to get to the Stanley Cup final. Not easy at all, but uh, I, I think they've done it in style first off. And yes. I, I just think, you know, the thing for me is that there's a lot of people and myself included who just have no rooting interest in this Stanley cup final, which for me makes it more fun in a lot of ways because it's less stressful first off. And second of all, I can just enjoy the hockey and whoever wins is going to be great no matter what. And I love that kind of Stanley cup final sort of as a neutral observer going into it. And there's just so many opportunities for both teams here uh, to potentially step up and be the game changer uh, in this series. And um, I'm just very excited to watch it. Yeah, it should be a very interesting series. And, you know, I look at this statistically over the course of the season, Florida has the better offense. Vegas is better defensively. One big difference between these two teams, though, and I'm wondering how this plays out in the final. Vegas was the least penalized team in the National Hockey League. Florida was next to last. They had the, the second highest number of penalty minutes in the National Hockey League. How important does that make the penalty kill for Florida and the power play for Vegas in this series? Yeah, I think that's going to be absolutely huge. Now, I know the officiating, like the whistles tend to get buried a little deeper in the pockets the further you go into the playoffs, but we did have some suspensions in the last round. And so, you know, I think that while like history would suggest that it won't be as big a factor because they're going to call less, um, when they do call it, it's going to be a big deciding factor at that moment. Yeah, and, and you know, we have to see whether or not Florida can stay out of the penalty box uh, very often because, you know, that if you're always killing penalties, that disrupts your lineup, it disrupts the rhythm of the players, the ice time, and it just changes the mindset and the momentum of a hockey game. A any other things as far as this matchup that catch your eye as we get ready to kick off the last series of this season. Yeah, I think, you know, the defense is going to be a huge part of it as well. I mean, obviously with these two goaltenders on a hot streak, you always have that backstop behind you. But I think that, you know, one of the issues that the Panthers had over the season was defensive problems. And so, you know, against a team with a, a larger core of players that can score, um, now, they, they had that against Boston, but I think Boston is a much different team than Vegas in the way that they manage their line structure, right, in terms of what players are on what lines and 
and how that affects rushes and breakouts and all of that. And I think that the Panthers defense is going to have a different challenge against this Vegas team than maybe they've seen so far. You're saying that Boston is more top heavy in their lines. Like what, what is that the uh, aspect you're going for? It's the type of players, right? Cause mm-hmm. the Vegas core is a much different kind of core than Boston has. Like I think Boston is a little bit more physical um, where Vegas is a little bit more finesse. And so when you're trying to defend against those rushes, it's going to be a little bit different for them. No question about it. And then the question also becomes, on those occasions when the Vegas forwards do beat the defensemen, does Sergei Bobrovsky bail them out when those good chances do come around? I mean, it certainly feels like he will based on how he's played (laughs) that, you know, I might've in the past expected him to falter at some point here, but he just has not done that. And I think we could say the same about Aiden Hill. Nobody expected him to be here as a goalie and yet the pressure doesn't seem to be getting to him at all. Right. And I think it's interesting because it's two different kinds of pressure, right? Where Bobrovsky has a history of maybe faltering in the past and it's like, can he overcome that? But with Aiden Hill, there is no history essentially to go back on as far as this kind of pressure at the NHL level. Of course he's had, you know, a career in other circumstances, but I think this is a completely different scenario. And so it's more of a blank slate for him to just go into this Stanley Cup final and and do what he does. So do you have a prediction for this Stanley Cup final? Um, I'm going to say Vegas in six. It's a good choice. I I was going to say Vegas in seven. So uh, we're, we're sort of on the same page. I think it'll be a very entertaining series. I think so as well. All right. We have got more to get to on today's show. Next up, we have our women's hockey spotlight. Erica Ayala will join us for that. Uh, And of course, a little later, we'll talk about who will win the con Smythe. But first, Rachel, why don't you tell us about game time? Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They've got killer deals on last minute tickets and with their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Uh, My favorite part of the game time app is it's great for getting notified about last minute tickets and flash deals. Me living in the New York area, there's tons of events and it's good to have game time narrow it down for me to what they know I will like best. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Also, the tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without stress with game time. Download the app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create a game time account and redeem the code locked on NHL for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And it is time now for our bi weekly women's hockey spotlight, which means we welcome in Erica Ayala. And Erica, always great to have you here. Thank you so much, Gil and Rachel. Good to see you. So, Big news, uh, player of the year, your your thoughts on the award and the voting. 
Well, first of all, it was exciting to be one of the voters. This is the first time ever that the IIHF has created this category for women's hockey. And it's officially the female player of the year for the IIHF. So it would include any tournament that is sanctioned under the International Ice Hockey uh, Federation. And Hillary Knight from the United States comes away with the inaugural award. And did that surprise you? Did you expect it? What, 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 what do you yes. think? So, yes. The answer is yes, Gil. <laughs> yes and, uh, so Hillary Knight in the last handful of IHF tournaments has been able to catch up with some of the greats in the sport. And she herself um, was fantastic for the United States, especially later in the tournament, in the knockout tournament, um, in the most recent IIHF. And a lot of the storylines around Hillary Knight going into the most recent women's world championships was that Hillary Knight was breaking all of these records for the United States and in uh, world's play. That being said, for her to get 40.9% of the vote And another person who also was on a trajectory of history and has been a very impactful player for their particular team, that being Marie-Philippe Poulain, only got 2.3% of the vote. That is very surprising. And that's a little bit, it's almost the sub story in my opinion, because I do think that there were names on this list that had a more compelling argument to be made to win the award since the award is happening for the first time this year. And it feels as though maybe the name recognition and the entire collection and breadth of work for Hillary Knight impacted the voting here because Hillary Knight received 4.9% of the vote. The second highest vote getter didn't even crack 20% of the vote. And that was Caroline Harvey. Yeah. And I was really happy to see Caroline Harvey at this high. I think she had a tremendous worlds and uh, really just put her mark on that tournament. So very happy for her that she got this level of recognition, but really with Hillary Knight, I mean, again, she had a phenomenal year and a really great tournament. First woman to reach a hundred career points in the tournament. Um, And she's now tied for the most medals in women's worlds and most wins but that's also with a player like hillary knight is just going to come from being there and playing for that long right right yeah and and you know i think again and we've said this i feel like we've said this before in the women's hockey spotlight and we definitely said it in our little green room but um i think hillary knight is playing some of the best hockey i've seen her play at this international stage like she had a hat trick in the, absolutely in the gold medal game including the game winning goal the united states was able to really just pull away from canada she you know led with nine goals But that being said, Caroline Harvey had, you know, as a defender, led in scoring with 14 points overall. Then you also have Emma Soderberg, who I know we have talked about a lot, and we hope to have her on the show or at least a little snippet of that soon. But 
I thought she had a great performance. Now, that was one of my personal top two, just to give a little insight. As voters, we could only give one name. So, you know, the, the, the one name that you submitted was uh, the, the name that would be your tally. Um, so, you know, a, a player that I had up there was Soderbergh, but I had an inkling. Unfortunately, I, I think hockey is a sport at all levels where you really have to be not only an outstanding performing goalie, but likely also a winning goalie to take an award like this. So I don't think Soderbergh was likely to win the award, but Nella Luposanova for me had the best year in IIHF play. And what put her over the edge for me is that she dominated in the U18 tournament and still was able to keep up pace with women that are with, I'm not even joking, 20 years plus her senior. And I thought that the, an MVP of the U18 tournament at age 14 and led in scoring in the U18 tournament at, with 12 overall points and then also able to do that in the senior tournament and play at that level and impress at the senior level. To me, I, I that's why I voted the way that I did. I thought that she would probably be a top three vote getter and she was right behind Caroline Harvey. But, um, you know, I, I think there were a lot of exciting young talents that could have taken this award. Do you think there needs to be a change in the way the votes are tallied? Like you said, you can only submit one name first place. Would you like to see a first, second, third kind of a vote situation? Or, or you know, what suggestions do you have to sort of make the vote more representative? Yeah, it's really interesting. We didn't have a lot of information. I still to, you know, everything got announced today. We, I think we've known for about a month or so that this award was coming um, for those of us who are voters, but I don't know who the other voters are. I don't know how many of us there were. I don't know what the breakdown was by country, what was kind of even the criteria, if you will, um, for, for being able to vote. So that's something I'd love to see moving forward that we see a little bit more transparency. And yes, I think it always gives an opportunity for one of those players that it's like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to put use my top vote on her, but a player that is getting votes in that top three, top five consistently through a ballot, I think that does say something. And if we have also that information, I think it helps paint a picture for the next time that we have a, a vote like this. Again, this was the inaugural Female Athlete of the Year for IIHF. So maybe Gil will see some of that. Yeah, I, uh, of course, am a fan of Emma Soderberg and probably would have given her my vote given the way she performed in multiple tournaments this year. And I feel like they obviously weight the senior tournaments much higher, but, sure. um, but you know, some lower level tournaments, she really uh, performed well this past year. She also signed with the Connecticut Whale in yeah. the PHF, which is uh, huge for the PHF. Yeah, it's very exciting. The Connecticut Whale is a team where they are a very solid team. I think that they didn't necessarily have a goaltender that was going to steal them games in the last handful right. of seasons. And so we know that Taylor Gerard and Kennedy Marchment are players that were able to renegotiate their contracts. They're back. They're locked in. 
Um, we also had Katarzyna Mrazova, who returned to the Connecticut whale. So, you know, they're really looking at a different flavor, if you will, of hockey, looking at some international talent. Also, Soderberg had a, a great NCAA career. Can't forget about that. So I'm really excited. I, I think we see a lot of teams, Rachel, that are getting really aggressive and competitive with that salary cap increase. It's 1.5 million per team. And being able to draw the Alina Mueller's, who we talked about on the last spotlight, uh, Soderberg. I mean, there are, we also talked about Nora Ratu effectively coming out of retirement. Casey Bellamy definitely coming out of retirement. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens there. You have the Montreal Force in the Premier Hockey Federation who are almost done and tapped out with their roster. They were able to grab goaltender of the year and rookie of the year, Kareen Schroeder from the Boston Pride. We see that Katie Burt uh, returns to the league. She, in, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There is not a back-to-back championship without Katie Burt taking over in net for the Boston Pride last year. I think it was just circumstances. She has a goaltending business where she's teaching the next generation. And I think that it just, the, the timing didn't work out for her, but she is committed now to the Boston Pride once again. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be interesting, but I know that we also have on our rundown, since we're talking about free agency, we have teams that are doing great. We have teams that, again, are almost filled with their roster, teams that are getting aggressive in the international market, the Riveters being one of them. And then we have the Buffalo Buttes. <laughs> who... Well, I do want to make sure we mention that Soraya Tinker is back with the Toronto Six. Yes, yes, that's right. Soraya Tinker signs a one-year deal with the Toronto Six. They also hosted a uh, free agent camp. Uh, the Toronto Six. So we have talent that, you know, my company, Black Rosie Media, we were able to get that roster. And we have players coming from the Swedish League to, to come to that camp, players that played in the PHF that uh, came to the Toronto camp, players from the Ohio State. We had players from Merrimack. We had players from um, what used to be Ryerson, which I believe is now the Toronto Metro University. Um, so that was really exciting alongside with, yes, Soraya Tinker is back, a defender for them, obviously won the Isabel Cup with them last season. Um, but yeah, th that's just another example, Tinker and others, of what it looks like when you're active in free agency. And unfortunately for the Buffalo Buttes, the Minnesota Whitecaps also in this situation, they don't have a head coach. And the difference I think between what we see happening in Minnesota and the difference in Buffalo is that one Minnesota was in the Isabel cup final. So even if you don't have a head coach, not ideal, I would argue Rachel and Gill, but you at least have that draw. And it does seem like their general manager is being active and able to, to sign and re-sign some players, the Buffalo Buttes. And I have to give stick taps to Angelica Rodriguez. She reported this uh, on a Twitter spaces, but you know, it, it, the understanding from Buffalo Buttes camp is that they are waiting to announce that head coach. We thought that they were going to be in position at the top of May 
to announce that head coach and it hasn't happened. And that is impacting their signings. Apparently it's also impacting their ability to hold a free agent camp. And as we see such high talent, including players that were nominated for the first ever IIHF female player of the year, go off the board and sign with their competitors. It makes you wonder what kind of Buffalo Buttes team are we going to see come November? Time is running out as far as getting that done and, and getting a team together. And obviously hard to sign free agents when you don't know who your coach is and what philosophy they're going to put on the ice. Exactly, Gil. And again, they don't have the luxury of being in the, the championship last year. Uh, they don't have the luxury of, um, you know, having other things that and, and other players to draw from. They have been a team that not only struggled last year, but they've struggled mightily in the last three, four seasons. And so all of that history is compounding now. And it is a little worrisome that they have not made this higher. But also it's evident in the fact that they have the fewest signings, announced signings um, in the offseason. Well, uh, we will keep an eye on that. And Erica, I'm sure you will update on us, uh, us on it in the coming weeks. Thank you so much. Always great to have you here. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'll catch you in two weeks. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Erica Ayala for our women's hockey spotlight. Always great to talk to her and talk a little women's hockey. We have got a lot more to get to on today's show. The Conn Smythe Trophy for the Stanley Cup playoffs MVP. Who are the top candidates? We'll break it down next on the Locked On NHL podcast. So, Rachel, Conn Smythe, uh, not the most valuable player of the final series, but of the entire Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, to me, there's five players who are sort of at the top of the list as to the leading candidates. If you had to pick one, where would you start? I mean, I think you have to start with Matthew Kachuk, right? Um, he's got the most points of any player remaining in the playoffs. Uh, Rube Hintz of the Dallas Stars still has the most points with 24. Uh, but not only does Matthew Kachuk uh, win it on just total points, he, he's got 21, but the type of points he's getting and those overtime wins and game-winning goals, he has just made such an impact on this Florida Panthers team and why they've gotten to where they are. And that's like the intent of the consummate right there. Yeah. I mean, three overtime game winners, four game winners overall, which leads uh, all the players still left in the, you know, on the two teams that are still left. And he's also averaging 22 minutes and 43 seconds per game of ice time, which is pretty impressive uh, for a forward. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I believe like there are several betting outlets that have um, him as the most likely candidate at this point. Uh, some of them, though, are, are going in the goaltender direction. Yeah, so the, we have the two goalies, sort of very opposite stories, as we touched on in the first segment. And I mean, you got Sergei Bobrovsky earning a lot of money every year kind of disappointing coming into this playoff run was even benched late in the season. Didn't start the playoffs as the number one goalie and yet rallies and gets the team here. 
And then you have Aiden Hill on the other side, a guy who has been more or less a journeyman, not established as an elite goaltender. And now he's on a hot streak and gets Vegas all the way to the cup final. How do you see them fitting in to this Conn Smythe trophy race? Yeah. I mean, you look at Bobrovsky, he's 11 and two in these playoffs where Aiden Hill is seven and three. So it seems like Bobrovsky's got the edge there, but their save percentages are essentially identical. Bobrovsky at 9.35 and Aiden Hill at 9.37. So, uh, you know, you look at that, um, you you look at their play and how they've been instrumental in winning games for, for their teams. Both of them have stolen games. Um, and to me, I think, and, and this is based on what I think voters for this award would do, it's Bobrovsky. Like if you're picking a goalie here, as of what we know now, it's absolutely Bobrovsky. Uh, again, we got to see what happens in this series that right. usually, you know, has an effect on the outcome. But uh, based on what we know now, I definitely think it's Bob. Yeah, I think Bob would get the edge. And and he's also, let's face it, got more name recognition, which I think is a factor in, in the voting when push comes to shove. But uh it's also a great story to have the the very talented guy who slumps and then recovers and, and leads his team to victory. And, you know, the other thing I think goalies, they, they get a little extra recognition and rightfully so in the Stanley Cup final. Both of these teams, they'd be winning the cup for the first time in franchise history. And, and that also sort of adds another layer to it for the goaltenders. I would agree with you. I think Bobrovsky would be the the favorite out of the two goalies. But Aiden Hill is such a Cinderella story. I know. It's so hard. I just, like, my gut, though, says it's not going to, unless Bob has this tremendous uh, Stanley Cup final and makes incredible saves and maybe saves an overtime winner, something like that. I feel like it's going to be a skater that's going to win it, but cause it's more often a skater. I think, uh, I don't know though, uh, if it's a goalie, it's going to be him. But then you look at Vegas and the, you know, the good problem to have with having such a balanced core is that you have like three guys that could potentially break out and win it. You have William Carlson, you have Jonathan Marcheseau and you have Jack Eichel right there. <laughs> like all three would be well-deserving. Yeah, I mean, Eichel, I guess, gets the most attention out of those three. He's got the most points, but, you know, he's got one more point than Marcia Show. And, and, and then right now, Carlson has the most goals out of that trio with 10. So it, it'd be tough to, to pick. And it, I think a lot of it is going to depend on who has the best series in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, one other thing, though, Marcia, so three game-winning goals, none for yep. Eichel uh, and and none for Carlson. So I think that may enter into the equation at some point as well. Yeah, but then you look at William Carlson, right, and that he has had he had a stronger Western Conference final. So the recency bias is with him there because he had five goals in that tournament. Um, and I think that, you know, when you look at his matchups, he's the one that was 
uh, out on the ice against the Connor McDavid line, right? In that series against Edmonton and the top line against Dallas. So you look at his complete game, like there's an argument to be made there. Oh, absolutely. I, I just wonder how many voters will actually take that into consideration and how many yeah. of them will just look at the stat sheet and say, oh, yeah, this guy has the most goals or this guy has the most points. Uh, but I, I agree with you. If you take the total game into consideration, a lot more uh, reasons to vote that way. And and it, it's going to be interesting because, you know, I, I also think it'll matter how many games the series goes. If it's a yep. four game sweep, I think that changes the equation. If there's a couple of shutouts in the final, you talked about rec recency bias that <clears throat> comes into play. And then, you know, who gets the big game winning goals also in the final round will probably be the clincher. I, I think, you know, again, you talk about those comeback stories. Jack Eichel certainly has that going for him as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I just, uh, I think that, you know, this is going to be low key, one of the most interesting Stanley Cup finals we've had for a while. And this discussion about who could get the consummate is a huge part of it. Because, you know, I think in the past, there's maybe been like two or three top candidates going into the final. And there are more here. And anybody could step up any one of these guys, um, there could be another hero that we haven't, you know, heard or talked about here yet, they could step up and just dominate this series and, you know, make an argument for themselves as well. There are good players on both teams that have the capability to do that. And so um, I, I think that, you know, trying to figure out who the, is going to win the Consmith now is a, it's a dubious exercise, but I think that, um, you know, the guys we've talked about are definitely the most likely. Yeah, they are, <clears throat> excuse me, they are the favorites, but uh, it'll be interesting. And you look, there there will be, you know, legendary plays and goals most likely coming up. And, and that is also going to go a long way toward determining who wins the Conn Smythe Trophy. Should be a, an interesting race and a great series coming up ahead. I want to thank everyone for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Every day is Monday on the show. I'll be back. I'll be talking with local hosts from both Stanley Cup final teams and uh, also discussing some of the biggest news from around the National Hockey League. So definitely join me for that. I want to thank Erica Ayala for our bi-weekly women's hockey spotlight. Rachel, have a great weekend. Everybody have a great weekend out there and thanks for listening to the Locked On NHL podcast.